This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400 gig and 800 gig enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today I have a special guest. His name is Brian Palowski. He is the chief development officer of a company called Quantum. And as you know, we have a lot of companies out there that have funny spellings. This one is actually not spelled funny. It's Q-U-A-N-T-U-M. Brian, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, you've touched on one of my hot buttons. I'm um, working at a company called Quantum today is just simply amazing, giving uh <laughs> The emphasis on quantum computing and quantum technology. Exactly. Quantum's been around for 40 years. They were ahead of their times, even in the choice of name for the internet age. So, no, when you were, when you were saying when it started, I was like, that uh, is when I was born. <laughs> I have a birthday with quantum. <laughs> nice. Nice. This interview is over. Okay. So. For audience, what is quantum and what does it do? Quantum is a, IT company. Um, we specialize in computer storage, storing data across the entire data life cycle. Um, and what do I mean by that? We store what you would think of as large primary data stores um, for high performance applications. My favorite industry in the world, by the way, is the movie industry with their special effects and animations. Love those guys. Love to see the previews of things when you go on site. And that's what I would call primary storage um, disk or high performance disk or flash based systems and lots of it to store lots of data. Think of that as sitting in the middle. What data is, is data coming from one end flowing through high performance kind of storage for transformation, going to backup copies um, all online today, um, going to the cloud perhaps, and which is using flash and disk and tape, or going directly to tape libraries, providing a end-to-end solution for data storage where you match the price of storing a terabyte of data with the worth of that data at any given point. All reliably and all securely, important today, by the way. Data reliability is the attack by people who want to take your data. So you mentioned that you serve the video, movie, film industry uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. Who are some of the other types of industries that rely on this type of you know, data storage requirements, the massive scale of data? Who is working with Quantum right now to store? We are focused on storing unstructured data. And, um, and I've been thinking about this, saying that all the time lately. We store unstructured data and people go, what, is, what does that mean? It means that doesn't mean anything and it's just a blob of random bits. Now, it's an old term, unstructured data is everything that's not a database. And uh, I was musing about this this podcast last night. 25 years ago, people used to invest most of their IT dollars at managing their Oracle database deployment in the corporation for payroll, sales, sales processing, you know, order processing, uh, counting money, distributing money, and employee records. All of that is structured data database. Unstructured data, 
is everything else. 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot of everything else. When you look at today, everything uh, that the growth of uh, explosion of data is all unstructured. And what I mean by that, application created data in almost human readable format most of the time, not in funny database format um, of massive amounts of log files, talked about the movie industry, uh, essentially various parts of the film in digital formats um, as it's being created and manipulated, the sound editing, the sound captures, the natural sciences are generating tremendous amounts of data with genomics research and cancer research or some of the people that we serve, people looking for new drug, for new drugs in the pharmacy business are doing lots of simulations and gener generating lots of data. And then the bad boy um, today, by the way, is um, AIML, yeah. where we're creating uh, new software applications that have ingesting a lot of data in very different formats. They're ingesting your the pictures of your grandchildren, um, your pictures of your vacations or something like that to basically process and generate models. And um, the more data they can consume, the more accurate these models can be. So it's all about data, 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 data. And so everything being produced today is unstructured data, everything. Um, databases have been really fallen into a very small fraction of the amount of uh, structured data, of the amount of data that people actually worry about. Yeah. So when we see like, a, you know, for, for a lot of our audience, some of our audiences, let's say entry level or young aspiring developers and engineers, and they might go to AWS and they see that they can see subscribe to database services. They can have an RDS. They can have all these different services they need access to. But you're talking wow. about these high, high volume applications. And there's one industry specifically you guys listed on your website. I'm going to ask about um, that. These structured databases probably don't work they, I mean, they don't, they just straight up don't like you mentioned unstructured data. And one of the things that you identified on, on the quantum website is the video surveillance or security industry. And you also mentioned just a moment ago that AI layer is now being applied to unstructured data. Give us an idea because we actually had uh, one of our previous guests was with access communications and their security company. And they were saying that they actually produce more like video content than YouTube, which I thought was like blown away, but it makes total sense. A video surveillance company. Yeah. So, so uh, Jamie Lerner, our CEO, cites a figure of, I believe, the number is that 60% of the data being produced today is video surveillance data. Yeah. Um, and you gotta you gotta think about it. Now, there is there is a um, small postscript to that. The question is how much of that data is being retained. So, why do people record video surveillance? Right, because Often they're trying to, after the fact, determine that some, you know, something that's happened, a crime or something for um, theft or insurance purposes, right? And so the retention periods on this data determine how much data is actually remains for a very long time. The trick is, is that people are finding they want to keep data for longer and that they're looking for tools to help them find the data they need faster Yes. So that they can trim their data sooner. And then we're back in a full circle, enter AI techniques for doing object recognition, uh, facial recognition, identification, situation analysis by emotion reading, 
on people's expressions. These are things that we're playing around with, um, with partners in quantum on processing video surveillance data. This stuff is crazy. This stuff is crazy. This is not database processing 25 years ago. <laughs> That's what I was getting at is, yeah. you know, you mentioned just your, your, your stat, you just cited, I love it. Like 60% of the world's data you said is actually just video surveillance data. Yeah, which I is, believe that's the number. And again, Jamie learners, he's the, uh, it's okay. Host. You know what I mean? And it, and that's a snapshot for anyone who wants to call out, Brian, that's a snapshot in time. We understand that every day that changes, but the, it doesn't change the fact that it's a massive amount. Give us an idea because you're you're on the you have a title chief development officer. Give us an idea of what you are seeing in the industry technologically that is re, that is re changing. It's what is required to move and store this amount of data because gone are the days like you said gone. Are, well, I guess there's nothing such thing as gone, but like the days are just keeps evolving, meaning like these cameras are better. They're higher definition. They capture more endpoints there's more of them right they're more readily available so it used to be you might have like a closed circuit uh system on your building you might have four cameras now there's like 20 like i i just got a quote for our studio and they told me that they could stick 16 cameras in a 5000 square foot space i don't think i need that much coverage personally but i think the thing that you you, you mentioned something that's really important some of the applications that are being done like Yes, we're, we're we, you know, video surveillance is recording video. It's the requirement for more and more information out of each video frame. So going to high resolution video um, that was, you know, being led by the movie industry, right? Um, with, uh, you know, 2K, 4K cameras. Remember when 4K cameras came in and they were the, the big thing for digital filmmaking and that basically, you know, kind of killed the film traditional film and filmmaking probably, they quickly went to 8K camera capture, Yeah. right? Then soon thereafter, you had 4K streaming video to your 4K television movies or live events if you're a sports fan. And these, so it's not just the application, but the amount of data per second being moved and the density of the data being stored since 10 years ago has, it's, it's, going up by a square, right? It's that resolution increases that are, so that you're seeing, you mentioned, so they're adding cameras. Yeah, they just threw out all the old, they, they threw out the uh, 1080p cameras and replaced it with 4K cameras, you know, quadruple the amount of um, capture that you're seeing, and then added more cameras to boot, all that are streaming real time into one of our storage boxes, Yep. where a very key point of security is you, can't drop anything. You have to take the real-time streams at speed and record everything because that drop frame might have the information you need from a surveillance perspective, right? But it's, it's a similar thing for movies. And by the way, it's a similar thing. Think about satellite space exploration stuff, right? Launch satellite up, put the James Webb telescope there, have that thing dump it down, and you're not capturing the data flow fast enough. <laughs> and then what happened? Oh, well, we missed the supernova explosion. I don't know. <laughs> I've been reading about supernovas lately. Um, there, there's no ones that are going to explode near the earth if you're worried like I am. <laughs> but, uh, but no, so there's lots of requirements for when you say capture data, capture it reliably, capture it um, completely and, and not drop frames. When you're, and then again, go, go back to like being human, right? Um, when you're sitting at home, 
and you're watching a movie and if you start to get a jittery response, you know, from your, you know, on your playback onto your 4K screen, you're not happy about your service provider, right? You're sitting there going, what the hell? Um, I Absolutely. Just, you just screwed up the best part of the film. But I'm now, now you've ruined it for me, right? So it just happened last night. Uh, last night in the NBA finals, YouTube TV oh is God. getting killed. YouTube TV is getting killed because they, uh, they were trying to, I guess, show a commercial and like the Little Mermaid commercial just started going on loop and people were freaking out. Anyone can check Twitter. Uh, me and Brian oh God, are talking right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. OK. Well, <laughs> I, am, I assure you, Quantum had nothing to do with that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a world we're in. It's an immersive world. Right. I can't show you on my phone because my phone is my camera today. Wow the world right and um when was the phone introduced 2000 iphone 2007 Remind 2007 me it overtook blackberry in 2011 yeah yeah yeah. and so so 2007 everybody went immersive in their daily lives not everybody but a lot of people very quickly you know what used to be uh i don't know you're you're, you're young so you don't remember um you know email used to be the thing you know send a text you know send a message to someone and have a little joke joke of the day um, now it's the uh, latest TikTok clip. Everything yep. is bigger, more immersive, more visual, and higher resolution every single time. I sometimes joke that we're entering a post-literate world. It's all visualization, <laughs> right? Yeah. Give us an idea of where you you know you guys are developing products and services to handle this amount of data, that storage. You know, there's a couple of key elements. Of course, there's the data creation. That's going to be at the, f- the first endpoint. Then there's going to be some type of n- network or line that moves the data to your storage systems. You need physical hardware that can write fast enough. Give it. Where does quantum sit? And then, of course, the distribution of that data, like you said, to like backups, to storage, to other clouds, wherever the case may be. Where does quantums in your products, where are they? Like, are you guys actual guy? Because you have hardware products I see listed on your website. Yes. Are you engineering hardware as well as the software solutions to move and store this much data? Give us an idea of where you got, where you sit. Okay, you just gave me a ball of string. Now, let me pull gonna, one. Yeah, well, you're gonna, as my, all my questions are like that. You got to unwind it. This is great. This is great. There was a whole bunch of things in there that are really important. Um, the first string I'm going to pull from my perspective today, all storage is software. Everything that quantum does is software. It's what enables our systems. It's what provides the capabilities that are what the user sees, the value from our products. Other companies have a similar, that I've worked at, have a similar philosophy. The hardware is the necessary evil. That is the physical place where you store the data but it's the software that we create layer on top of an aggregation of disks and SSDs and um, CPUs and memory in varying configuration sizes to match a given application use case customer to store the data. But it's our software that's basically making sense of it. Right. right? A, a, a disk drive speaks uh, blocks. You can write a, I think now today is 4K blocks, um, before it used to be 512 sectors, right? You, you So you write a 4K byte block to the disk drive and you get a 4K byte block back. That's a whole definition. That's a whole nother definition about unstructured data. That is like cacophony. There's nothing there. It's just raw stuff. Disk drives are like a bag of flour. What do you do with it? Well, 
You got to, you got, so this is the funny part. When I said unstructured data, unstructured data is only released in the database. Every application generating data has its own format for what that data is, typically in some human conceivable form. Um, <laughs> and so the disk drives are flour. What, what, what the applications do when they're storing that data is they make bread and slice the bread up and give you the slices of bread. They add structure to the data to make it consumable because yeah. you don't eat flour, you eat bread, right? So the software sort of is the process that makes use of the raw materials underneath to present a convenient metaphor to you, like a file system and file cabinets, you know? I don't know, remember when, uh, when uh, you, you wouldn't remember this, um, <laughs> early Windows and stuff like that, file folders on, on desktops and clicking on things and stuff like that. These are all, uh, these are all physical, these are all metaphors that relate in your life to when you used to have a file cabinet. Yeah, library, file library folders, systems, yeah. Paper inside of them, right? And uh, our software is what does that. Now, the funny thing about this is you mentioned about where does it reside? Most people are consuming our products, buying them for use on-prem in their data center today. We are also making our products that work on the cloud, either in things like Azure or Amazon, um, where you can run our software directly and have our software exchange data with your on-prem systems transparently moving data back and forth, either for backup purposes or possibly you're find it easier to collaborate by putting your data in the cloud and having everybody access your data um, from multiple locations in the cloud. And imagine that COVID accelerated all this work, right? COVID really brought home the need that um, remote collaboration came in a big way. That's right. COVID was the great accelerator. Yeah, it took off the, you know, I, I just I just have this little vision in my head of um, IT leadership going, well, you know, we're exploring remote work um, capabilities and you know, remote collaboration and we're working on it. We have a plan to roll out over the next three years. How about a week? <laughs> right? I mean, talk, talk about an IT transformation. It's kind of funny when, you, when things things that transform technology and the way people work are things like, you know, the difference between a, an SSD, a flash disk and a, and a spinning disk. You did have a computer with a spinning disk in it at one point when you were younger, right? Oh yeah. That word word. Yeah. You could hear the humming. Like, yeah. And you remember how long it came to, to boot up. Oh yeah. You would go get coffee. Effort. You would go do something else. Like people would, right. people right. would well, start their computer and then make breakfast. Like seriously, I, I know people that would make breakfast, not because it took that long, but because they just wanted yeah. something else to do versus just sitting there and idling as the computer right. booted and, and up. Another way to look at it is that you'll never get that time back. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then now you have laptops today where you pop it open and it just, it's awake. I mean, I use, I have a Mac. My Mac wakes up immediately and it keeps me really busy, right? Because I don't have to wait for anything. I don't eat breakfast very often. The odd thing we were talking about at, uh, several years back was as all laptops became, they were early adopters of SSDs, flash drives, solid state disks, because they were just way more rugged, rugged than a spinning disk. Um, they were more expensive, but they broke less often. And so they put them in there and they were much faster. And uh, so, you know, board, you know, CEO staff meeting in a company and guy would open his laptop up and pop open immediately in front of him. 
And it's like, how come we're not using flash storage and SSDs in our data center? It seems good to me. <laughs> it's just, it's little things transform stuff. I went speed dating with 40 startups at a, at a VC event. Yeah. They did two minute presentations and they were supposed to convince me to fund them. One person stood up there and said, the cognitive dissonance between the immersive computing experience one has at home during the weekend and then coming into corporate America and picking up basically stone tools and old methods and old applications that are difficult to use is probably the biggest challenge facing productivity in the workplace today. And this was about 10 years ago, right? When iPhones and iPads were just taking over, right? But it was an interesting comment in that you have to look around you to see where is the transformation happening and corporate America, corporate world across the world, where are they in the adoption curve for emerging technology, right? It's uh, interesting to look at where are the waves of technology coming at, right? And we're not going to talk about ChatGPT today, so. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zeo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zeo.com slash network right now. You hit on a point about how the systems that are in place today, right? So you, because uh, I want to go back to my question because I, I feel like there's a lot more to learn from you. These systems that you mentioned, because you mentioned, hey, the software layer is the key, right? The hardware layer, I think you mentioned there's a lot of players. It's more like a, I don't, I'm going to put words in my, these are my words, not Brian's, but it, hardware storage, write speeds, those are more like commodities, but it's the software layer that makes it differentiated. And you mentioned you're building software layers for clouds, you're building it for your own hardware. When customers today kind of reach out to Quantum and say, hey, this is what I want to do. How do you guys, or how do you approach these solutions? How do you think of and how do you engineer or architect the solutions that are going to get them exactly the performance they need? Because you mentioned earlier that, you know, we know that the size of data that you're moving is increasing. It's always increasing. It's never shrinking. Like you're never going to have a customer, I think, come to you and says, you know, I need, to, I'm going to reduce the amount of data flow I need to store. And uh, I, I need reductions everywhere. I don't think there's going to be any reductions. It's always going to be increases, right? That we're going to move more data through your systems. How do you approach developing and engineering the solutions that are going to fit your current customers? And then your philosophy for like the next wave, like how much bigger of a problem is this going to continue to be? So... The intersection of three things are there. I mentioned hardware as a necessary evil. Yep. Things are based in hardware eventually. They're being stored somewhere. Sure. Um, we're, we're a storage company. We're a data management company um, and, and with a focus on unstructured data, right? Which is where the data growth is occurring. Um, the massive explosion of data. Let's, let's, let's be realistic here. It's not data growth. The massive explosion, the tidal wave of data coming at you. 
so there's the hardware, the ability to store it, and that's both cost effectively and at the performance required. The ability to move the data seamlessly so that the data is where you need it, when you need it. And that is critical. If you can't access your data when you need it, what's going on? It's the, what are the customers doing? What are their applications and their application behaviors? And what might be different about their particular use case for that application compared to other users of those of that application? When I say application, it should be applications, right? A lot of, when you, when you see what a customer is doing with their data, it's usually a transformation pipeline. Um, data comes in at ingest, they capture data, and then they process it. And a lot of processing today is involving increasing amounts of data scientists who are looking for patterns within the data with the help of AI and ML applications to amplify their creativity, right? And then uh, produce outputs. We have this uh, person in quantum, Eric Basier, uh, came up with a model for how people use data and transform data. He called it the data factory. And it really appealed to my blue collar background, right? Data is the commodity today. And data is so, so how does it move through the data factory? It's, you know, ingest raw materials, production, creating the thing you want. And it's easily, you know, movies are always easy to explain this, but, and then finished goods, where do you store them? Um, where's the warehouse? And the warehouse is usually a place that has a low cost way of storing um, your finished product for a long time reliably, right? And you go from there, it's ingest of things like generation of data, hardware, video surveillance, going into high performance computing with flash-based storage for very high performance processing at a critical juncture of the system and connecting those two pieces is networking. Everything is network. People are not physically moving data by hand. It is everything is networked, right? So when I, you know, when we talk at quantum about storage, what we're really talking about is network storage. All of everything is attached and able to be moved around. And then you go to backup things, which may include disk. Um, and then in the back end, most likely it's a hybrid system of disk or flash front-ended tape, because when all is said and done, uh, tape, which is like, it's just the cheapest, most reliable way to store data for enormously long amounts of time. It's a proven technology. And what I didn't mention in here is the cloud. And the cloud is used both for primary processing, but also used for targets for where you store data long-term sometimes, or do additional processing. And so that again is through networking, right? So there's storage in places you have requirements for performance, you have requirements for cost reduction when you want to store it for long periods of time, and you have requirements to be able to move data quickly, and that's the networking components. I just want to add, you, you made a comment there, and, and I just wanted to add that it's sort of interesting if you bought a 22 terabyte, I've been looking at the pricing, the prices of 22 terabyte spinning disk, hard disk last night. If you buy a 22 terabyte hard disk today, it'll be at the same cost, unit cost, as a 12 terabyte hard disk 
eight years ago. The technology, a lot of these pieces have become so ubiquitous and commoditized that there's an expectation and a delivery of speed, density, capacity at the same price points being held constant to feed this entire ecosystem of unstructured data. The unit or the amount of capacity being sold is never going down for any of the primary technologies, be it tape or flash, solid state storage or disk. They're always increasing capacity counts, but the prices of certain things are almost holding constant in terms of revenue to the media providers. They're just giving you more for your money. Similar thing is happening with networking, right? Um, my house is 10 gig wired, by the way. That's almost archaic now. It's kind of cute, isn't it? I mentioned before at the top of the show that we have a sponsor. You know, Zao is our sponsor. They are now dropping 400 gig lines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. No, no, I, 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 just, I just think that, you know, I, I, I'm sitting there going, I mean, I'm running 10 gig in my house. And our products, our products uh, our lowest connectivity, lowest network connection speed is uh, 100. And there's way more than one of those ports on those boxes we have. And, um, and 400 is, uh, our customers are using 400 too. Yeah. It's a uh, 100, 200, 400 gig um, networking. And by the way, one form or another, it's uh, Ethernet. One of the creators, it might have been Metcalf, was asked a very long time ago, um, goes, what do you think the network of the future is going to look like? And, uh, and he said, well, I don't know what the network of the future is going to look like, but I know it's going to be called Ethernet. <laughs> the commonality of the interfaces, the plug and play of the pieces, and the, the industry has just been driven by customer requirements. Damn it, I don't want your proprietary boutique systems anymore. I want to be able to have some choices. I want to see some competition. And I want to see basic, I want to be able to connect my different vendors' products together on common platforms. And kind of Ethernet, you know, has, you know, their victory has been declared repeatedly over time, but uh, they may have one finally. But it is Ethernet. When you meet with these customers today, there's more demand. It's consumer-driven, customer-driven. They're trying to accomplish things, but there's still physical limitations to, like you mentioned before, network, there's a physical limitation. Storage, there's physical limitations. Do you see places where people, the let's say their end-state application that they want to run, and they, of course, they need to store and move data so that it gets to its service, wherever that service may be, whether it's cloud or on-prem. How often are you seeing physical limitations limit what a customer wants, or is the industry continuously innovating at a pace that can handle just about anything. Like, have we butted heads yet? Or does the industry keep building things that are... <laughs> I'll say I have three responses there. Yeah. For high-performance primary storage, um, which I often worry about, everybody would prefer to buy off-flash storage from the get-go. Yeah. And stop doing disk. Despite some of the hyperbole in, from some of the vendors in the industry, it's not quite there yet. You cannot justify flash for all applications today. Now, a dirty little, not dirty little secret, but me and my buddies get together a lot. <laughs> we, we draw these lines and curves and cost dollars per terabyte of, of flash versus disk technologies and different levels and near line devices. And, um, and we, just keep, we just keep looking at those things. And you can look these up online. We're waiting for those lines to cross, um, which brings me to point two, by the way. When people are arguing about when will flash be cheaper than disk, you 
So we should be looking for what, what the blank spots. What are they not talking about? Nobody's ever saying plastic is going to be cheaper than tape. So here we have a problem. For long-term reliable storage, tape remains the technology of choice. And if you imagine that flash will, in the next five to 10 years, for all intents and purposes, replace most spinning disk for most applications, you're going to be left in the end with an all flash, all tape world. There's reasons why flash is good, um, mostly to do with uh, consistency of performance. Disks have this annoying habit and also um, a little bit of agnosticism towards workloads. They don't care if it's random I.O. or sequential I.O., but it's that consistent latency that's that's critical for reliable application performance that SSDs provide that um, disks cannot. So a disk and tape world, right? And then the things that we're playing with and when I'm talking about these technologies, these are what the cloud providers are playing with within their infrastructure, right? Yeah. They're using tape to store customer data today in the lowest cost form possible and being able to make money on that storage by reducing the infrastructure cost and then charging what they can for that reliable data storage. Again, reliable data storage, reliable, durable. I put my data up there, I get it back. Tape is a play in there. In 2007, the sky was falling, right? And everybody was like, we don't need data centers anymore. Everything's moving into the cloud. It was driven by a couple of different things, but one of them was like severe cost cutting measures by just about every industry. They were like, right, hey, right, we right. want to cut costs. Like, how do we do right. this? And Amazon's like, wait a second. We have, you can use our gear. <laughs> and then as my friend Jamie likes to quip, okay, now you're going to pay that monthly bill for a hundred years? <laughs> <laughs> As you were talking about some of the applications that Quantum supports, I was thinking about how the cloud providers all charge based on egress. Well, even if they lower their cost of egress, just like uh, storage providers are lowering the cost of storage, it doesn't matter. You're egressing so much more. And then you add in the fact that there's that, like you mentioned, AIML, right? You're going to use different services. You're going to be moving the data in and out of different cloud providers, probably, um, or to on-prem solutions. The egress fees are just going to get astronomically bad i i I have a i have a picture in the future where i guess amazon will always be able to price their because egress for those listening egress costs nothing (laughs) but they bill for it it really costs nothing but they bill for it because if there's an endpoint to bring the data in the same endpoint can be used to pull the data out okay so now (laughs) it's uh, i think it's the i i think it's the Difference between ingress, which seems to be low. <laughs> ingress is low. Put all of it in. <laughs> which seems high. And it's, 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 it's a symmetrical problem, I think. Um, no, I was going to say that, you know, everything's moving to the cloud. Six, seven years later, the question was, everything's moving to cloud. It's like, move to which cloud? Azure emerged. That's right. I thought Google was going to be the one that was going to lurch out and really. Oh, GCP? Yeah. Yeah. But I think Azure, you know, uh, Nadella went in there and transformed Microsoft. That was a that was a diving catch and a half, right? And made them a powerhouse in cloud providing. Um, they're a very big partner of Quantum. And um, so now it's like, which cloud do you want to use? And now as people have gotten used to using the cloud day to day, 
and doing the work they do in the in on prem, they're now making more nuanced choices. What is more suited for on prem? Sometimes involving performance. What is suited for cloud collaboration? Let's say um, I can put it up there and share it worldwide more easily. It's become a much more nuanced conversation. And before it was, you know, well, we need a hybrid cloud strategy. People are now living a hybrid cloud strategy and making decisions about it. And we are seeing patterns of repatriation of some applications back to on-prem. But what quantum's play here is we want to make it easy. You want to do it in the cloud? Let's we'll have our we have our products up in the cloud for you. And this is a transition as we're moving more and more products as our are all software-based up to the cloud. And we also have those products on-prem and trying to make it as seamless as possible to move your data over the network from the cloud and back. And the data factory model, um, a key uh, message in that model is uh, data is mobile. It doesn't mean it's on your phone. Data is mobile that it always goes to finished goods, comes back, it's reprocessed, remanufactured, new model comes out, shipped again, and it's it's a very fluid circular processing of data. Data is eminently reusable. And that um, so when you think of the endpoints and clouds and data centers, just think data going back and forth and the problem you have to solve, which is a networking problem, is being able to, and a software problem, is being able to move that data back and forth fluidly. I guess that brings us back full circle. How often are you guys, when you get called in to say, hey, I, got a, I, got, I have a storage solution I want to implement, how often are you also, I guess, consulting or advising or uh, identifying gaps in a person's existing infrastructure and setups that says, hey, in order to do this, you need to upgrade here, here, and here? Because I'll go back to my example, and it's a small example, but of putting security camera on a studio that uh, one of my, the companies I'm part of owns. When I heard that number, I was like, I was blown away. Right. So like, that's just on the front end, but all on the back end, all the processing stuff, what if I was in charge of that? And so I can see a world where CEOs are calling you and saying, Hey, I want to do this. And then you come in and say, Hey, hang on, wait a second. You can't quite do it yet. And here's the reason why, how often are these like collisions happening? Because you know, our appetite for innovation, that doesn't stop, right? I'm sure people bring in right. solutions to you all the time where you're like, wait a second, I've not heard that. Well, I got to figure out how to move that information. You know, the conversation, like say for video surveillance is about uh, the evolution of the technology. Um, I think video surveillance started out very much as point products that represented islands of surveillance storage for banks of cameras like many other island approaches of I'll just build out, I'll just buy another island and put it in place, you find that now you're managing an archipelago. I think Indonesia, <laughs> lots of islands, <laughs> um, uh, an archipelago of, uh, of video surveillance platforms. One of the things that we end up talking to people about is having a clustered backend solution for your video surveillance storage that's high performance enough to take in the feeds of hundreds of thousands of hundreds or thousands of cameras and not lose any data, reliably store it and provide management for you to um, and tools that you can lay on top of it for things like, you know, facial recognition, 
object identification and also analysis on object movement, um, traffic flow analysis, essentially, within uh, the video surveillance stuff. And all this becomes possible once you start getting the aggregate of data in one place. But you have to have it in such, such a way that you have the performance for all of the endpoint cameras, um, the ability to store it reliably and never lose it. Think about it, you know, the archipelago approach to uh, security cameras. If you lost one, one section here, the other islands are all still functioning. So when you start bringing things into a more centralized thing, you have the opportunity to perhaps be more cost effective you also need to have solve the reliability and security problems of that deployment. So I think we have a conversation like that across our portfolio with customers of, well, let's look at your application and what you're doing with your data. Let's see what your current deployment is. And I mean, frankly, often the, the question is, can we do this better for less? Or can we solve this problem that's in the way of your business with your current solution that your current solution is incapable of solving while still providing you a cost-effective solution within your business requirements, right? It, it, I mean, it does come down to money. Like I said before, yeah. if, you know, if, everybody, if there was no cost difference, people would be de deploying Flash for everything today, right? <laughs> No doubt about it. And it's just a very nuanced conversation. By the and the, and the conversation, video surveillance is not just our storage products, it's our partners. Yeah. Right. For the video management applications that run on top of it and everything. So there's just lots of uh, uh of what I what we call solutions. And the solutions are the partners we we certify with and work with to make sure that we can basically be there for the customer. No doubt. Well, Brian. It was a lot of fun having you on our show today. Thanks for sharing some of your ideas of what is happening in this industry, what you and your team think about when it comes to solving a customer's problem solution. I think it makes complete sense of what you're trying to accomplish. I do have one final question before you go. Okay. All right. <laughs> do you see a time when capacity, so whether that's network capacity, storage capacity, officially supersedes data creation like meaning we don't ever need a bigger line we don't ever need we don't ever need bigger systems i don't see that i don't see yeah. that you can find online by the way you can find <laughs> online a probably an idc graph or something about the amount of capacity currently in existence currently deployed in the world of storage the amount of data generation by people and the amount of data people want to store. Those are three lines. Right? Yeah. There's more data being generated than or is being stored, but the capacity for the foreseeable future is lower than the amount of data being generated that people want to store. I've not seen anybody say there's an end to that. <laughs> I mean, they keep coming up with new things, right? Yeah, I know. Like I'm trying to picture a future like where like possibly like my grandkids could they have a terabyte of storage in their cell phone and would it still be not enough? Like, could it ever, is that conceivable? I mean, every time they feels like you have enough, it turns into not enough so quickly, which is crazy. A friend of mine once commented, what are the sources of large amounts of data? Um, Dave Hitz, he started NetApp. It was, I thought, very insightful. So I'll leave you with this. Think about it. Because think about when will this stop, right? First, 
capturing the real world. So that's videoing, yeah. TikToking, right? Um, but it's also oil and gas exploration, seismic analysis, weather observations, and observing the universe. So capturing the real world. Second thing, simulating the real world. Simulating the real world, sometimes I love movies, animation, special effects. That has been so dramatically changed. So if you go back and look at the Lord of the Rings from 2001, two, three, or whatever it was, um, you're going to see seams in the special effects, right? They're trying to eliminate those seams. But, but simulating the real world is also simulations that are done for industrial purposes, mm-hmm. that are done for drug interaction analysis. And these simulations are being done with higher and higher and higher fidelities, right? And then there are the large number of people issue. And this is what Facebook showed. Facebook showed that if you basically get together billions of people, they could generate a lot of data fast, <laughs> right? And so three sources, capturing the real world, simulating the real world, and lots of people. So if you can tell me <laughs> when, that, when one of those things is going to stop, then we can start seeing a trailing off of, yeah. uh, of the generation of data. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like, basically, if you're in the business of figuring out how to make flash drives have more capacity in our lifetime, you will always have work. You're not. You're never going to be done. You're never going to be done. The other thing, the other thing I was going to think about as you were saying, simulating the real world is the magnification of thing the unknown. Uh, I think that is also going to be a massive data generator as we start seeing. Like, for example, there's going to be a future where I think people can probably ingest or insert something into their body and they could track like, like the blood vessels of your body to look for medical. You've never op- swallowed a camera. I've swallowed a camera. Well, I mean, that's just your GI track. Same sequence of pictures I've ever seen. Well, that's a, just, that's just your GI track. Imagine it's in your blood vessels. Like I, I've, I've, you've, I've heard crazy stats about how many miles of capillaries and arteries and stuff that we have in our body. That's every person that's just a single person multiply that all the people on earth. And like, is there going to be medical, like could a medical company come to you, Brian, and be like, Hey, I need to store this. The magnification of the microscopic, that's going to be, because as capability increases, that's going to be the new world of what you said. Like they're going to bring that to real life or possibly bigger so that, you know, the human eye or AI could identify, uh, you know, hardening of arteries or whatever it is they're identifying. The, the point is the opportunity is endless. Like even in your own body, probably like, there's probably enough data like your body has that that could like like fill up some flash drives. <laughs> like wearing a helmet and saying, This is my brain on a podcast, you know, kind of thing, measuring your brain activity, listening yeah. to this, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, listen, Brian, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing some of those ideas that you have. I agree with you. The world of storage is never going to change. And therefore you, you hit it up the head, which I know our sponsors love it is also a network problem uh, or network based problem, right? All this data has to be interconnected and it has to flow fast. Putting the network back in <laughs> network storage. There you go. <laughs> Brian, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care.